Merry Christmas. Christmas is a time for putting things right, setting the record straight. So tonight, I'm going to tell you a secret that I've been waiting months to share. It's a secret about men and all who identify as masculine. And I fear a lot of men will be upset with me tonight for sharing our secret. But it's Christmas Eve, and I feel like if there's a time that I can get away with spilling the tea, it's tonight. I hope that some of you have had a glass of wine or some eggnog before coming to church tonight. In fact, I know some of you have had some wine. And I'm hoping that you're in a jovial mood. Either way, I'm sorry, but I can't keep the secret in any longer. I'm going to share tonight the secret, the thing that men think about more than anything else. It's not what you think. It's not what you think. It's not the stereotype. That's a common misconception. That's not what we think about all the time, which is a good thing, right? Some of you in here just let out a great sigh of relief. <laughs> oh, thank God. I'm safe. Let me jump on Facebook and mark myself safe from Ben's Christmas sermon. <laughs> not so fast. No one is safe because what men are constantly thinking about is far more disturbing than the stereotype. It's scary. It's ancient. It's primordial. It's all-consuming. The thing men think about more than anything else is the Roman Empire. <laughs> I swear it's true. You may have heard about this. I thought I was the only one until this summer, a 32-year-old Swedish comedian calling himself Gaius Flavius created a reel that said, ladies, many of you do not realize how often your men think about the Roman Empire. Ask your husband, boyfriend, father, brother, you will be surprised by their answers. The post ignited a massive social media trend. Women accepted the challenge and asked the men in their lives how often they thought about the Roman Empire, and the answers were absolutely shocking. A lot said that they thought about it every single day. On average, across the board, men thought about the Roman Empire every week. Some said they thought about it three times a day, which baffled women who made so many videos about this with the hashtag Roman Empire. It went viral with 1.1 billion views, making it the largest trend of 2023. To the surprise and amusement of women everywhere, men are constantly thinking about the Roman Empire. When women asked men, why? Why are you constantly thinking about it? They said things like, why wouldn't I think about the Roman Empire? Think of, there's so much to think about. They created a world-dominating society. One man said, I was just having a conversation about their aqueducts the other day with a friend of mine. Another said, because it's cool. TV personality Carson Daly confessed he thinks about Rome every day because of philosophy and the cold plunge. Billy Ray Cyrus told his fiance he thinks about Rome 15 to 20 times a day because of gladiators. One woman said she regretted asking her husband because he went into a rambling off of a list of Rome's advancements in the use of cement and roads and welfare and the calendar and some forms of modern surgery. Another woman texted the question to her father who wrote back that he thinks about the Roman Empire every time he uses the bathroom because they invented the modern sewage system. It was a lot. And women are right to be puzzled. It is puzzling. 
It's a strange fascination that more than 1,500 years after the fall of Rome, people, men particularly, are still thinking about the empire so frequently. However, for people living in the first century world, like the author of the Gospel of Luke, it was impossible not to think about the Roman Empire all the time. Rome was everywhere. It dominated everything, law, economics, politics, food, art, entertainment, even the way people thought about themselves, about the world. There's nothing more powerful than a force that can change and determine the way we think. Philosophers would use big words to describe Rome as a totalizing epistemology. And given the trend we saw on social media this year, one could argue that the Roman Empire still has power over our minds. Somehow it is still dominating how we think. It's obvious that Luke had the Roman Empire on his mind when he penned the story of Jesus' birth, which means we can't even tell the Christmas story without having to think about Rome about Emperor Augustus, about Governor Quirinius, about Syria, and the fated census that brought Joseph and his young fiancée Mary to the city of David where she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. There are more details about the Roman Empire in Luke 2 than there are about the birth of Jesus. We're only told five things about Jesus, his parents' names, the little town they went to, the lack of hospitality they found, the clothes he was swallowed in, and the manger where he was laid, which all of this information is meant to communicate his lowliness, his poverty, his humility, the common, ordinary, everydayness of Jesus' origins, his solidarity with the poor and all of humanity. For those of us who follow this child born in Bethlehem, there's no way for us to avoid thinking about Rome because the story of the empire is written into the very fabric of the Christmas story itself. So the question is not if we think about Rome, but how we should think about it. Christians are not supposed to think about Rome the way that everyone else does because the empire is not the protagonist in this story. Luke's Christmas narrative invites us into a study of contrasts. Bethlehem and Rome, the manger and Caesar's palace, poor unweighed teenage parents and a royal bloodline, the kingdom of God and the Roman Empire, Jesus and Augustus compare and contrast. Rome's not a neutral figure in the story that is intended to provide some kind of historical backdrop like window dressing on an otherwise apolitical narrative. No, Rome is the antagonist of the story. The antagonist of the good news, the antagonist of the gospel, and the antagonist of Christmas. It's not the Grinch. It's the Roman Empire here, and all the empires of the world thereafter, including our own. And the protagonist of this story is not even Jesus. Contrary to popular belief, he was barely breathing at this point. No, instead of royalty, we get poor shepherds, and instead of a Roman army, We get a legion of angels. There's twice as much information about these angels and these shepherds than there are in this story about Rome or Jesus, which is Luke's way of telling us that's where our attention should be. We're not meant to leave this story thinking about the Roman Empire or even reflecting only on the birth of a child laid in a manger. We're meant to be thinking about the angels and the shepherds, specifically the song of the angels that became 
the shepherd's proclamation. Luke tells us it was the angel's song and the shepherd's words that Mary treasured and pondered in her heart. So we're called to leave this story and this place tonight like Mary, not with a child in our arms, but with the shepherd's words in our heads and the song of the angels in our hearts. But the question is, what words, what song are we meant to be pondering? They're right there before us. They're the words of good news, good news of great joy about the liberation of all people from the forces of empire. And a song, a song that is peace, peace on earth to all humanity. We live in a violent world. In a time of war in Africa, Europe, and the Middle East, a time of genocide, environmental collapse, mass incarceration, school shootings, housing insecurity, healthcare crisis, racial injustice, sexuality and gender inequality, economic disparity. Our world is desperate. It's in desperate need of the song of the angels, the message of the shepherds. Our world is in desperate need of people like Mary who will take the time to set their minds on liberation and will let their hearts be filled with the song of peace. And these are not simple activities because liberation and peace require many other elements to be made flesh, to become incarnate. Things like love and truth, forgiveness, justice, equity, grace. But what started in that field filled with sheep where poor shepherds received the good news of the angels was a revolution of liberation and peace that we're all invited to live. And the very first move of that revolution that we call Christmas was to change the way we think, to spark our imaginations. Growing up, I heard that Christmas was about changing the way we think about God or about ourselves. Those were the common sermons on Christmas Eve night. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son and all that. You've heard that one. Or Jesus was born to save us from our sins, yada, yada. You've heard that one. But Christmas not only changes the way we think about God and ourselves, Christmas should change the way we think about the world. That's what happened to the shepherds and Mary. The song of the angels completely changed the way they thought about the world forever. Rome was no longer everything. The empire was no longer in control. It ceased to have the power to dominate their imaginations. Chains had been broken, and their minds were freed by the good news of great joy. And now, now they treasured and pondered not Rome, but what God was doing and what God was bringing to the world, the work of liberation and peace. It's easy for us to fall into despair, thinking that the way the world is today is the way that it will always be, or even the way that it should be. It's hard to imagine that things can really change, but the great teachers of the world tell us that in order to liberate our bodies and our society, we first have to liberate our minds. The ultimate significance of knowledge is its capacity to transform our social world. And that's why Christmas can be, if we want it, a jailbreak of our imaginations, a time for us to break free from the epistemology of empire that dominates our thinking, a time to 
loose the shackles on our minds so they can dream of a new world. Time to rip off the cords right off of our hearts so that they can be redirected away from empire and toward the prospect of a new future. A time for our hearts to be filled with joy and our imaginations to run wild. A time for us to treasure shepherds' words of liberation in our hearts and ponder the angel's song of peace. Since we're sharing secrets tonight, there is a secret to Christmas that not everybody knows, and it's not that men are constantly thinking about the Roman Empire. The secret of Christmas is that it's not a day. It's not even 12 days. It's not a season either. It's not an event to be observed and then forgotten. It's a spirit which should permeate every part of our lives every single day. Christmas is a form of life, a way of being in the world, a disposition that should shape how we exist, how we move and live. Christmas is synonymous with a life of liberation and peace. It was that for Mary and became that for Jesus, and it must become that for those who follow him as well. That's what should be on our hearts and minds all year long. We heard this secret in the miracle on 34th Street when Chris Kringle said, oh, Christmas isn't just a day. It's a frame of mind. We heard it again in Dickens' A Christmas Carol when the spirit of Christmas present told Scrooge, mortal, we spirits of Christmas do not live only one day of the year. We live the whole 365. And so it is true of the child born in Bethlehem. He does not live in our hearts one day a year but in all the days of the year. As that old Bing Crosby song goes, it's not the glow you feel when the snow appears. It's not the Christmas card that you send every year. It's not the joyful sound when the sleigh bells ring or the merry songs that children sing. The little gift you send on Christmas Day will not bring back the friend you turned away. So may I suggest the secret of Christmas it's not the things you do at Christmas time, but the Christmas things you do all year through. This story has become so familiar, so common, so sentimental. We often leave church on Christmas Eve wondering if there's anything left to think about, but there is so much left to ponder. So long as there is war in the world, there is much left to ponder. So long as there is empire, there is much left to ponder. So long as Caesar and his governors are raging, there is much left to ponder. So long as policies like censuses are negatively impacting people's lives every day, there's much left for us to ponder. So long as poor families cannot find shelter from the storm, there's much left for us to ponder. So long as refugees are ignored or forgotten or forced out or arrested, there is much left for us to ponder. So long as people struggle to experience liberation and peace on this earth, there will always be much left for us to ponder. Before we can build the world that God wants us to live in, we first have to ponder what it should be. First, we have to have the courage to imagine it. So as you sit by the fire tonight, or the light of the Christmas tree, or the moonlight in the winter sky, or the glow that emanates from the smiles on the faces of your family and friends. Free your mind to ponder what kind of world you want to live in. Treasure the song of the angels. Ponder the words of the shepherd. Reflect on a world of liberation and peace. 
Let your imaginations run wild with visions of a world filled with love and truth and forgiveness and justice and equity and grace. Figure out how to live in it. Imagine what the world would be like if the followers of Jesus didn't just celebrate Christmas once a year, but lived by Christmas people all year long. And what role might God be calling you to play in the good news of liberation and peace? And if you are able, leave here with a word in your mind and a song in your heart, thinking a little less about the glories of Rome and a little more about the glory of God, which is peace on earth for all humanity. Amen. Merry Christmas.